0: everything that the seed needs to grow is inside of that seed
1: Uh so there's
0: power in it yeah and it makes me think of um how first corinthians i don't remember where but it says this is not a kingdom of talk it's a kingdom of power
1: when you think about the profound influence of the bible on the world the way that it has shaped our culture Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Welcome to the Take and Read podcast. So excited to be here. This is a new thing for us. We're in episode 21. Uh, We are are turning a page in the history of of Take and Read here in the Take and Read studio. If you call it that, it's actually just my office, but uh, there's lights and microphones, and so we can call it a studio. I have not one, but two special guests. And I've gotten emails from uh, several people asking when I was going to have a lady on. Uh, and And so I've been praying about that, trying to explore that concept. And there were two uh, godly women, sisters in Christ that I get to partner in, in terms of the gospel ministry here in Georgetown with, Michelle and Casey. And so I thought, man, I want to have the, those two on. And then Casey, you and I were having a conversation. And you're like, why don't we just jump into it? And so I'm going to have both on the podcast today. And so super excited to have you guys.
0: Kill two ladies uh,
1: with one stone. Easy, easy. <laughs> mm. Not good, no. not good. Um. <laughs> so uh what we're going what we do here is we take and we read the bible and we we wrestle with it in just three kind of categories so we're looking at what does it say do we understand what the text says then we start to wrestle with what does this mean and then we move to kind of the significance component like how is this then significant if we believe this to be the word of god and we are followers of Christ, we're disciples of King Jesus, what does this Word do to us and for us? How does it shape the way we live? That's the goal. And and so with those three categories, that's how we're going to attend to it today. But something that I always have for first-time guests is I have a few questions around how you spend time personally in the Word. So uh, I would love to hear from each of you, Tell me what your experience with the Bible, if you could just quickly summarize in the life of your, you know, faith walk, what is, how's the Bible kind of played a role from earliest beginnings in your family? How did you think about the Bible? How did you interact with it to present day? So we'll start with you, Casey. Oh, great.
0: Well, so to like go back and how I grew up with the Bible and it wasn't a centerpiece. It, well, it quite literally there was a huge family bible that was uh, old and beautiful and it's like ornate mm-hmm, had the and it was decoration yeah and um, that that's kind of the extent of the bible as i was growing up i occasionally uh, would kind of look through like revelation because that was so exciting or what could be in there but i didn't understand it Uh, Most of my—definitely all of my childhood and into my 20s, I felt it to be uh, distant, uh, ancient, not understandable, and it would only be understandable if like some— like Goonies, wonderful situation happened, and all these like you had to have the keys to understand. Right, Bible. there
1: was almost like a code or a some, yeah. secret way to unlock its mysteries.
0: And I think looking back now, the what I thought the code was was you had to act really nice, you had to be really okay. good, you had to do all the right things. And so um, the way God worked in my life is He took my husband and I, and we were on this path, which would have probably be moral and good and all those things he just picked us up and dropped us over here we did nothing we said no prayer we didn't i mean we didn't we did nothing he just picked us up and he put us over here and shortly thereafter i just found an explosive love for the bible all of a sudden it was alive it was no longer scary And I could open it and I could still be confused and I'd still have questions, but it wasn't unattainable.
1: So, naturally, my question is you say, Picked us from here to here. Like, did you physically move to a new location? Or you're saying just.
0: Yeah, I mean, this road would have been your walk with the Lord. You
1: guys were kind of going this direction. Mm
0: -hmm. And this is the direction I'd call like. Maybe that line of like, yeah, we're Christians. We you know, we go to church on Christmas and Just Easter. Kind of culturally culturally a part Christian, of that. Yeah, yeah. Moral, pursuing success and looking like good upstanding citizens. Right. And I mean, like, we could have stayed on that for a long time. Because okay. that's kind of what is normal, right? right? That's but God took us right after we were married. He um I had some I had a friend call and say, Hey, you want to come to our marriage retreat? And I was like, That sounds great, like a spa. <laughs> So they had a Christian ministries. I knew nothing about it. We were married like two yeah. weeks. I was like, oh, yeah, come. That sounds wonderful. Well, at that place is where the Lord just took Doug and I and just, he just totally reshifted everything. And yeah. the the way he first, I, I he just reached me by, I got into his word. And what's funny is, and I'm sure we'll kind of touch on this later, I was um probably more emotively based. And he tricked me and came in through my head.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I think it also um, it helps r- us realize that this idea of a retreat or seasons of life where we draw away from our normal kind of rhythms, God can use those in pretty profound ways, and that's, I mean, that's biblical. You look at all the mm-hmm. feasts of the Old Testament; there are these times and and places where He calls His people out of their normal rhythms to seek Him, like the whole. Feast of booths or uh, of tents or whatever—that was like the first church campout. I mean, Mm. they're going out into the wilderness for the sake of leaning into the Lord and recalling His faithfulness. So it's cool to see that 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 took place. Um, Michelle, how what's been kind of your journey with the Bible?
2: Yeah. So my earliest memory uh, is coming down our stairs as a child and. Every single morning, I would see my mom sitting in her chair with her Bible on her lap. And that was something that— uh she learned from my grandmother who would do the mm. same thing. She woke up every morning. My grandpa would bring her a pot of coffee and she would stay in a her pot. bed, a pot, a <laughs> pot. And she would read her Bible and her Bible is completely written in and uh, she would pray over us and mm. she would just spend time with the Lord. And so I had that modeled from a very early age yeah. by uh, strong God-fearing women in my life. And I would say that that left such a distinct imprint on me um, that when faith really became real to me later in high school, I began diving into God's word. I didn't know how to do it without the construct of a Bible study, mm. but I spent so much time. I mean, I remember waking up as a senior in high school, and I'd spend an hour and a half doing Bible study, which sounds crazy, but I was hungry and mm-hmm. thirsty for that. And that continued through college. And um, I would say afterwards I went to graduate school and, um, and I had no time for reading except for the books that I had. Right, And so I kind of floundered and I was like, Lord, how do I find you in this place when my brain just hurts and I'm so tired? I'm devoting mm. every ounce of who I am to these studies. And then I went through a season of profound grief and coming to the Word seemed impossible. But slowly the Lord uh, just continued to draw me back to His Word. And He showed me that He, in fact, is the Word mm. and to hunger and thirst for Him. And um, I spent— an, one summer in particular, I spent a summer in Australia and engaging with believers there. And it was in the season of life where I was highly engaged in my Mm -hmm. Bible. And uh, I talked to these believers and they were like, well, you don't need to do that. That's really legalistic. Like Mm. you don't have to have a study every day. And it was the first time I encountered people who professed Christ and said they were pursuing him, but wanted nothing to do with his word because Mm. that would put upon them a discipline or a legalism that they felt um, was requirement. a requirement and um, but what I observed and I was just in observation mode then is that they weren't in fact really pursuing Mm him and they weren't anchored to truth and so they had a love for him but it wasn't grounded in anything and so I, I tuck that memory away and I see that now is how important it is. Not that I have to read the Bible to be saved, because that's not true, but that that is going to show me who God is, because Amen. this is how he has revealed himself to us. Amen. So,
1: Wow, different, I mean, totally different trajectories that both of you guys have experienced. Both of you, though, experienced the Bible in the home, but in very different ways, the way that it was seen, interacted with. And, and so it's, it's just neat to see the way that the Lord can, can bring people to Him. How do you spend time in the Word now? So what would, um, if you would just say kind of on average or your ideal scenario, when you have, have it your way, what does a time in the Word look like for you? How consistent? Like, is it daily? Is it um, in the morning? night? Is there a reading plan involved? Is there a particular spot in the house, a lamp, a table, a cup of coffee? Is there like, paint the picture for us. What does your time in the work look like now? You go for
0: it. <laughs> Yeah, um, Casey. Yeah. Okay. Well, so um, ideally it's the morning uh, I find that to be just the time when my head is most susceptible to mm-hmm grasping things and I think I think I'm not a neuroscientist but I think neuroscience agrees with that (laughs) that like when you wake up whatever the first thoughts and images that hit your head are actually have a deeper impact than Um, the rest of the day Mm -hmm. we'll we'll have fact check that but I'm pretty (laughs) sure (laughs) So um and it's usually in the winter I have I start a fire, I get a love good coffee, start a fire, and in the morning I just spend time just kind of reading. I'll usually be in a particular chapter and I'll just kind of read in the morning. It's changed since I recently been in ministry, but um I'll just kind of spend some time reading. And that time is just kind of set up to just hear from the Lord. Remind myself who He is in light of the day that's fixed to come before me. Yeah. So, um, it's a pretty low key time. That that time, I, I it's changed a little bit. When I had little kids, I spent more like an hour, an hour and a half, really digging into one particular scripture. But so I just will kind of read through a passage and pray over it and meditate on it and really think through it. Um, I usually have like kind of two different ways I study one, not study, but one is um, kind of volume reading. I want to get through a passage. I want to get through two chapters in John. And it's because I'm trying to process through my Bible during the year. I want to read it frequently and get through it all the way. But then at a separate setting, what I love to do, and it's my favorite way to study the Bible after you've spent some time reading the whole story of Scripture, I love to take one or two, just a chunk, that's just one or two verses and just pull them for everything that they're worth. Mm-hmm. Just drain every single thing out of them. Yeah. And sit and think on them. And when I reach the point that's like, I don't have anything else I can get out of this, I like to go a little bit further to see if there's something else. That's my favorite way to study because the Lord is so good in in drawing connections on our head that tell us about Him. And it, it'll happen even in the simplest, like, great example. Jesus wept. Like, there's two words, mm-hmm. but you could spend so much time just... Right. Right. mulling on that so those are my two ways to study read through it pretty quickly don't stop you know maybe not jot down some notes if something piques your attention and then sit in one or two pieces of two one or two verses and is
1: that a, a separated time like mm-hmm. you're going to do one at in, early in the morning and then that other one may come at yeah, a different time may in come the day. at a
0: different time of the day usually for me that one comes like during the lunch hour or okay. something i'll take i'll sit down That's and cool. intentionally redirect my attention so
1: right on all right same question to you.
0: So uh, the
2: only way I can introduce this is to tell you that I like to run. Okay. And uh, used to, before I had children, I would have it very methodically laid out of what my morning routine would be. So I would get up and I would do this and then I'd get a run and it was perfect. Mm -hmm. And I would approach my time in the Word the same way. But then I had kids and jobs and life is busy and full. And I remember talking to a mom, when do you get in your run? Because it can't be this certain method. And she'd be like, whenever you can. Mm. And I, that like rocked my world because I was very rigid about it and same about my approach with the Lord. And if it was like time in the word, and if it didn't look like that, then it would almost be like, well, that was a wash. Mm. And so my motto, it's kind of a low bar, guys, is... (laughs) (laughs) Some is better than none. That's good. (laughs) And that is how I have been approaching much of life lately. I like to set high bars for myself, but they've lowered lately. And so my motto is some is better than none. And I find Mm. that if I can get in the word some every day, then it fuels my hunger for it more. And some days it may be an intense study time. And other days it might just be a cry out to the Lord and I'll read a couple verses. Some days I might not make it to it, if Mm -hmm. I'm honest. Uh, But when I'm in it... It draws me back, and I'll say mm. that it um, softens my heart. When I'm away from the Word for a while, I can find myself getting cranky mm-hmm. and cynical yeah. yeah. and uh, donning the aspirations of the world very quickly.
1: Yeah. Mm. Did either of you ever wrestle with—because I know that for a season of my life, I did wrestle with this, and that was I, I knew the value of reading the Bible on a regular basis for myself. But there would be times where I couldn't get to it, or maybe even a week where it just kind of fell off my radar. And then I would be kind of latent or slow in returning to it mm-hmm. because I felt guilty or I felt like a bad Christian or whatever. And I've the Lord has brought me through that, and I've wrestled with what, what are those reasons for feeling that. Is that something that you guys have ever had to process through?
0: Mm-hmm. And it's usually I've found because I've um, inadvertently replaced it with something else. Okay. So like that scene in Indiana Jones where he takes yeah, the, the deal and he switches them the off real fast. Again? Yeah. I've, I've inadvertently replaced it with something probably usually not good, like scrolling Instagram mm. or. And if I'm honest with myself, at first I'm like, "This is nice. <laughs> mm.
1: I don't even think about it. This is great." <laughs>
0: like you know, if, if I'm on it, like at first it's like, "This is nice. I'm just drinking coffee and I'm doing." And, um, that's usually, and then the Lord is so gracious because he lets you know it's not nice.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And for you, Michelle, going from a a place of very kind of, I don't know if regimented is the right word, but kind of having a detailed outline of here's how things need to play out into a season of life where you're, I'm going to fit it in when I can. mm -hmm. Like I I would imagine there's that tension for you at times or not.
2: Um, I would love to say that I feel guilt. I'm not a psychopath, I promise, but I don't <laughs> feel guilt often. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, and um, it's a blessing and a curse, but what I find is I begin operating in my own strength, oh, okay. and I begin thinking that I can get through the day because of my will, my strength, and I'm fine with it. Okay. And the Lord draws me back, and He often uses things in my life to remind me that it's not so... And that um, my strength is found on my weakness, and I need to depend on Him. And this best place of dependence is abiding in Him and being in His Word. So I wish that sometimes I would be more pricked by. That, <laughs> but unfortunately, I'm not. That, that actually,
1: that's <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for sharing uh, just a little glimpse into your world, your past, uh, your time with the Word. But we're going to do what we came here to do. We're going to take and we're going to read the scriptures. So another kind of component of the Take and Read podcast is the guests don't know where we're actually going to open to. And I do that intentionally because I don't want you to come uh, kind of guns loaded. I don't want you to have kind of read up or looked at commentaries or I want this to be how do we just as believers process through the Word? How can we just simply approach it with us and the Lord. And before uh, we started recording, we we prayed and we asked the Lord to come and show us and give us insight. So we're going to do that today. And also, full disclosure, these, these two sisters uh, that are with me today, they are also gifted teachers. And so another question, and maybe this is—maybe uh, m- we shouldn't get into it because we want to read the Bible, but— um, both of you are gifted teachers, and so you spend time in the Word sometimes, not necessarily just for yourself. You're going to spend time in the Word with the mindset of preparing this to to kind of serve or deliver to somebody else, a group of people, and walk them through it. And so another question would be, what does that time look like different than that devotional time? And um, I don't know if you have anything you want to just quickly kind of— Speak it's totally to about different. That. It's
0: very hard. Yeah, it's very hard. You have to be very intentional about the personal time mm-hmm. because the teaching time rides on other things. Okay. So it does. I mean, and I don't teach quite as often as Casey, but I'll say that um,
2: I find it so rich. I probably engage in the word the most when I have something set to prepare for. Okay. And part of that is my constant prayer is that um, I would not be teaching anything the Lord hasn't. Taught me mm-hmm. and hasn't worked me through, and so my preparation time. And again, it's not I'm not doing it as often, right. so it's um, so I think there is a different component there. But I find it so rich yeah. and hard,
0: and rich mm-hmm. and hard because we're right <laughs> I mean, back. I always get just right back here working on my own will, yeah, just delivering mm-hmm. you know and stuff. Yeah. So you kind of have to juggle two balls. Okay, they're they're sim- they're different things in the same book. They're different avenues. And I'll tell you that I am so
2: excited to be here as a guest, but your premise of not letting us know really (laughs) makes my skin (laughs) crawl. Like, I know my methodology is don't ask a question you don't know the answer to, right? Right.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, we're going to be, (laughs) uh, we are in the first part of Mark. We're in Mark chapter four. And we have- uh, Where is Mark? Mark. Yeah, in the New Testament <laughs> I
2: have to, it's like the ABCs uh, I got to go
1: through it <laughs> and what we've kind of covered so far in the podcast so if you're just joining this podcast uh, and maybe you haven't you've decided you don't want to go back and start at the beginning that's that's fine uh, we're we're taking our time through the Gospel of Mark and we're recognizing some things about Mark that it's the the earliest recorded gospel we have of the life and ministry of Jesus Gospel means good news. And so we have the earliest account of Jesus' life and ministry here in Mark, and we understand too that when Mark starts out in the first verse where he introduces this idea that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is, that is Mark's statement of who he thinks Jesus is, and from that point on, he doesn't give us his opinion directly. He illustrates, and it's almost the rest of the gospel account is a support of that phrase. This is why he believes Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And so we also understand early on that Mark um, has recorded this kind of instance of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus begins to preach the gospel. And what it tells us is that as he preached the gospel, he proclaimed, "...the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the kingdom." And so as Jesus goes about, he is proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming through him that he is that king of the kingdom, and he does it through his teaching, and so he's already been identified as one who—his teaching's different than the teaching of the scribes. His is one that has authority. And then he follows up his teaching oftentimes with demonstrations of that authority, so he'll cast out demons. He'll heal people, uh, and he'll calm storms. He'll do these things that indicate he has authority in every realm, the natural, the supernatural. He has authority in the small, minute things of human disease and sickness and leprosy, or he'll do grand things. He'll do things far away. He'll exercise his authority up close. He'll spit in the mud and put it on. he, He is demonstrating in every way, shape, or form, he has authority in this life to make broken things whole and healthy. And so now he's in a season where he is teaching, but he's chosen a method of teaching called parables. And we recognize that these parables are, are different than just kind of a, you know, your your Sunday morning preacher's illustration. That there's something about parables that he's chosen this vehicle through which to teach and he's doing something simultaneous he's concealing and revealing at the same time and what we saw in the first part of this chapter was was with the the four soils so the casting the, the sower sowed seed and some seed fell among the rocks some in the thorns some on the hard path and was scorched by the sun or you know eaten by birds and then there was the good soil and he he is explaining to his disciples that If you can't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all of them? So there's something about that particular parable that becomes kind of a key to understanding all of the parables that Jesus is teaching, and that they're all about the kingdom of God in some way, shape, or form. So that's something that um, we've kind of come to. So when we arrive at the parable we're going to look at today, which is chapter 4, verse 30. We're going to read 30 through 33. 33. So, a, a kind of a shorter pericope of Scripture. Pericope. And I have, a, yeah, a pericope is a small section okay, uh, of of Scripture. And it's a fun word to use because we rarely use it in the English language. But uh, So, we're going to read through this and then we'll begin with, okay, what does it say? What do we need to understand in order to fully grasp what it is saying? I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. I think you... You guys have different. So Michelle has the NIV, Uh yeah, that's right. And Casey has the CSB, CSB. so the Christian Standard Bible, the New International Version, and then I have the English Standard Version. So it'll be fun uh, for the first time. I've not had a guest who had a different translation, and so if there are words that come out as I read this, make note of okay that. Mine says something different. Mine has a different word, and that's a first indicator to go, okay, what's going on there? Mm -hmm. Why these different words? So, here we go. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 30. And he said, he being Jesus, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet... When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. All right, interesting. So you have this actual Mm -hmm. parable, and then you have this kind of side commentary about Jesus using parables and how he was using those with the crowds and then conversations obviously happening with disciples on the side, Mm -hmm. which is how the parables were first introduced. He introduced this parable and then he has this side conversation with the disciples because they're like, what does this mean? And so he's kind of unpacking it. So there's this indication that that he was kind of doing that. He was share a parable and then he'd reveal it or teach on them. Mm-hmm. So, let's focus specifically on the parable itself. So, we're going to look at verses 30 through 32. Right away, are there some things that stick out, or maybe there were different words used than what my translation had? Yours both have mustard seed, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yep. All the um, important
0: words are the same. Yes. Okay. I didn't um, have a difference
2: until down in verse thirty-three. Okay. But in in terms of the parable. Okay, thing so
1: things. we're it's all pretty much on the same page. So within this, it, it's important to kind of wrestle with, okay, what are the characters, right? Even though not like person characters, but what are the different parts of the parable? Hmm. And we start to wrestle with, okay, what do they represent? So we know right away he is drawing a comparison of the kingdom of God to something else. What is that something else?
0: A mustard seed.
1: Yeah. So now we're supposed to understand, okay, he is intentionally trying to give them an understanding. Now, I don't have a lot of interaction with mustard seeds or mustard plants for that matter. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys do. Did you grow up on a No, but
2: I'm about to plant farm? my garden this weekend, so seeds, yes. Seeds, planting, not. okay. <laughs>
1: And so I think that there's an indication here that the mustard seed, a grain of mustard seed is relatively small mm-hmm. compared to other seeds. Like that's the indication. And then we see that the mustard plant, when fully grown, is significantly and relatively larger than most other plants that it's around. Right. So what do we make of this or what what is he trying to – indicate. Is there anything else, I guess, in this Mm. passage that maybe would need some clarity?
2: I guess that in and of itself is the dichotomy that it's setting because my limited planting experience, I'm not a gardener. I I pretend to be a gardener, but I don't read directions. So I'm kind of a failed gardener, <laughs> um, <laughs> is that the size of the seed correlates to the size of the plant. So your sunflower seed is going to be larger, and so is the mammoth sunflower plant that right. grows. And so the fact here that the mustard seed is so small, and yet it yields a plant that is so large, that in and of itself is kind of like, well, that's not the natural way that mm-hmm. this
1: Right. Unfolds. We would think something big comes from something Bigger. big. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's something too, yeah, in and just those components what do we understand about um, in terms of what the the modern well not the modern but the original hearers of something like this might discern like they're mm. they're hearing this this kind of this teacher this guy that comes around and he, and he starts talking about seeds a lot like he just got done talking about the growth of a seed um, and that it's it's, a, it's automatic And the previous uh, parable, which we talked about in the last episode, and we kind of walked away with, okay, this seed is planted and although the worker of the garden or the farm does things, they don't actually produce the growth. They work on the conditions of the soil and making sure it's watered. But they can't actually make the seed grow. They -hmm. can't instigate growth as much as they'd like to. And they they go to bed and they wake up. And and this thing grows, whether awake or asleep, it just will automatically grow to the point of harvest. And so there was something about the growth of the kingdom is like this seed. Then he's also already um, talked about the parable of the soils, right, where the seed lands. But in this particular thing, he's saying – The kingdom of God is like this seed, and it's going to grow a certain way. And the original audience, like he's saying something that they're supposed to understand about the kingdom at that very moment. What do you think some – maybe the way that this might hit them or Mm -hmm. they might wrestle with that?
0: You know, if I'm considering – taking context here and this is i'm putting myself in the shoes of a disciple the first thing i'm going to think is hey you're the one who told us the kingdom is here like why do we and i'm just being real here that why do we have to compare the kingdom of god to something just tell us what it is we want you know i would want that that's my fleshly experience i just want to see what it is i just want to eat of the tree i don't want to have to wait for their wisdom yeah. And I love that the Lord is slowly drawing his disciples through this at this point, because they're going to need it. In just a few chapters, mm-hmm. they're going to remember all this in this agrarian society. Mm-hmm. And everywhere they walk, they're going to be reminded they're going to see a mustard tree. I guess, is it a mustard tree? Does, yeah, I don't you know, know if it's
1: a shrub, a tree, whatever
0: it grows into, they're gonna see that and they're gonna go, oh, remember when Jesus told us about this? And and oh, this kingdom doesn't seem to be growing, but he said it's gonna produce branches so big soon that the birds are gonna nest in this. I mean, they they would have to, they they would spend their entire time of ministry processing these things in the Lord because it was a farming agrarian society. Mm-hmm and so i th- I think about how how they probably at that time wanted just tell us what it is mm-hmm. and the lord in is giving them these parables, and in the long run, those were more useful than if He just would have laid it out, yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah there's something too that, as I've wrestled through the parables that I've had to continue to remind myself, and that is the difference between meaning and significance of a parable, so realizing that there is a direct meaning that Jesus has when he is sharing this parable. He's teaching, and he has a meaning that is intended for that immediate context. However, the way that we experience that meaning, whether we're present when he gives it like in that moment, or whether we're 2,000 years later, we can experience the meaning of that in different ways. Even like the three of us sitting here wrestling with, okay, if that's what it means, how do I experience that meaning given what I'm going through or what I'm wrestling with? And so understanding the difference between meaning and significance helps us kind of make that transition to then what do we do about it? So what is he trying to indicate to those disciples and possibly that crowd that's there about the kingdom? If it's like this mustard seed that's so small when it first starts out, yet it grows to be bigger and more substantial than the other plants, so much so that birds can nest in it, What is he? why is that something he wants them to know?
2: I don't have an answer for you. Mm. Okay. Quite honestly... Parables confuse me. Yeah, and I have often like read through them and got to the point. I'm like, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm supposed to do what he says. How can I do what he says if I don't know what he means? And I like, I sometimes come to these places. I'm like, what does? What is he telling us? Yeah.
1: So differentiating,
2: mm-hmm. like you just said, is very helpful. Um,
1: and I'm thinking that something that's been going on in the ministry for Jesus at this point is great crowds have started to follow Mm -hmm. him and he has attracted a lot of attention. Some of it's negative attention. We understand the Pharisees and the scribes are starting to get really ticked off at him. But then there's other instances where he has to, like he, he shows up on the shoreline and has to stand in a boat far off so that everyone can see him and hear him. Crowds are pressing in on him. Like his popularity is growing rapidly and a lot of the people are coming because they've heard of what he's done. Mm-hmm. Like he's performed a miracle. He's he's healed somebody. He's cast out a demon. So they're attracted to what he can do. Maybe not necessarily who he is at this point, but what he can do. And so he's gaining this uh, this huge following. And yet what he's telling them in the moment, and really only, again, some are it's going to reveal something to some of them, and the rest of them are going to be like... I don't know what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. is God's kingdom going to be like a mustard seed? Because they're in their minds thinking the Roman kingdom, Mm -hmm. like other kingdoms exist. And so I think one thing we can kind of see, he's got this growing popularity. And yet he says the kingdom is going to start extremely small. Mm. However, it will grow. But don't think it's going to come in as that populist message that a bunch of people are going to adopt. Mm -hmm. Recognize it's going to be very unpopular. It's going to be a small thing that then will grow, but over time. And so recognize the size of its beginning doesn't indicate its overall, like, what it becomes. And I think it's related to the parable right before it, where it's this idea that a farmer plants a seed and it grows We don't know how, it just grows, but eventually it comes to harvest, and it's time to harvest it. So I think there's something about the nature of the growth and the size of the seed to what it becomes in that immediate moment where some people are going to be like, I don't know. And he's saying in front of them, the reality of those of you who are in the kingdom, it's going to be a very small number to start Mm -hmm. with. Which
2: if he had... The inverse of that is true as well. Like if they had these expectations that their Messiah, the rescuer, would come with political might yes. to overthrow the Roman government and their oppressors. And if, in fact, he had come in that way, the, the, this kingdom would have been full and yeah. robust because they wanted to overthrow their oppressors. And yet He's coming and saying from right here, the kingdom is going to operate according to different rules. Yeah,
1: it's mm-hmm. totally contrary to what you mm-hmm. expect or think. It's different than human standards. But yeah, there's there was, and that's a great point, Michelle. There's this growing expectation that the Messiah is going to usher in this military mm-hmm. uh, empire that's going to overthrow the Romans and just really kind of bring back the days of Solomon and David, just this military might and political might. And yet, how can that be if it's like the smallest seed you could imagine mm-hmm. when it starts? It's like, ooh, what? And there's going to be some that go, I, it's, whew, it's mm-hmm. going to fly right over their heads, and then there's going to be some that go, okay, I, th- I think I, okay, I understand. And so, and it also tells us in the latter part of this mm-hmm. section, he he spoke this way, like any, there wasn't a time when which he was speaking publicly that it wasn't in a parable, but privately to his own disciples he would explain everything so that they would gain understanding. So when they would see that mustard plant, mm-hmm. they'd go. Hey, remember? Remember when he said remember that? Remember what he said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's okay. That's, it's we're small in number, or we're in we seem insignificant at this point. That's what we were told.
2: And I love that even then he is preparing them, and they have no idea that not only is he come, but he's going away. Yeah, and he's preparing them for the time when he's not with not them, so absolutely. that they see those visible reminders. Oh, this is what he was teaching.
1: Yeah it's uh in 2 prior to this um section that moves into the parables Jesus calls the the 12 apostles and it's specific like he has this group that's in front of him but he selects 12 that will be his apostles or his messengers mm-hmm. so they're going to carry the message and so then it talks about kind of who's in the club and that's that weird awkward mm-hmm. kind of passage about who's really my family? Mm -hmm. Oh, your mom and brothers are at the door. And he's like, no, they're not my brothers. The ones that are here doing the will of the father, like these are my true mothers and brothers and sisters. And and so it's like, they're on the inside crowd. And then he moves into these parables. And so now he's demonstrating to these 12, you know, here's, here's how you're going to go about being messengers. Like there could be this indication that as you like think about how i'm teaching you and i'm revealing things to you but this is how the kingdom's going to work and i think maybe there's a demonstration of this is how you're going to profess this message
0: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and there's power in that seed the everything that the seed needs to grow is inside of that seed uh-huh. oh, so yeah. there's power in it yeah. and it makes me think of um how 1 Corinthians i don't remember where but it says this is not a kingdom of talk. It's a kingdom of power. Mm-hmm. And so you see that in here. And so what that immediately makes me, how I started off talking about cultural Christianity, mm-hmm. it makes me think of that. this. Jesus' kingdom is not about adopting some principles or some ideas that seem nice and seem good and yeah i can agree with that i can get on board with that mm-hmm. it's about reorienting your life around a king and claiming that you're a member of a kingdom first i mean it's a huge uh, i mean what's what's fixing to happen with this kingdom is tremendous it's it's going to change yeah. the world and they're maybe not going to see that come to its full fruition but from the disciples standpoint it's going to change the world and from my standpoint it's not it's it's power. There this kingdom is to be a part of power. Mm-hmm. And so when I see that I just think of power in that little bitty seed. Just the And
1: it's yeah, it's the potential is all packed in there and that God is going to then release that. It's
0: all in that yeah. the seed contains everything it needs to
1: grow. So how does this land for you guys in the sense that okay, if this is what he's doing through a parable like this, he's expressing this meaning to these disciples and other crowd members at the same time, and he's revealing some things about the kingdom. How do you experience that now? What's the significance for you as one of his followers?
0: Mm.
2: I think I really key on the last part of verse 32, when it says that um, the tree, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants. And it has such big branches that Uh, birds of the air can rest and it provides shade. And I think of so much of what the kingdom of God is doing is um, counterintuitive. Like we Mm. are a place, just as Christ is a place of rest for us, the church, the kingdom of God should provide rest to people, to Mm. weary travelers. And so we use our energy and our time to be a place of refuge for Mm. people so that they may find rest and ultimately they may find rest. In Jesus. Mm. Amen. Um, I, I just love
0: the, the picture the image that that creates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Casey? Well, kind of very different. So when I think about um, all of Mark, I think about a chapter that's a, or a book that's about kingdom and confusion. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like it starts off in confusion or it starts off in kingdom where he says where, I mean, at the beginning We're told what the gospel is. I mean, he tells us what the the gospel is, that the kingdom has arrived. Mm -hmm. Like, Jesus has arrived, that the gospel is, that the kingdom has arrived. And so then it ensues with all this confusion, right? It's confusion in the parables, confusion about the kingdom in the parables. And then it ends with Mary and Mary and Salome. Did I say it right? Sure. Okay. You just say it fast.
1: That. And so, it right ends
0: with these two people running out, freaked out because Jesus isn't there. I mean, that's how it ends in yeah. confusion. Mm-hmm. And so, what that makes me think is that there is so much, it's hard to be a Christian right now. It's hard mm-hmm. to be a Christian forever because it's confusing at times because we want to do it by our own will, we want to do it by our own understanding. And it's just not possible to be a kingdom member through our own understanding. Mm. And so I, when I read Mark, I'm just constantly reminded the echoes of kingdom and confusion, kingdom and confusion throughout it. And I really sympathize with them because I think, yeah, I see how they were confused. I see how maybe with all their heart, they wanted to follow him well, but they were just confused. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's Mark just consistently brings me back to that. I can't get away from yeah. it usually. Yeah. It always brings me back to that.
1: That's cool. Yeah, good Good, good significance, good insight. So blessed to have gotten to wrestle through the word with you two sisters in Christ, two godly women, uh, co laborers in the gospel here in Georgetown. And uh, definitely look forward to having you guys join me again. If you are tuning in and you really enjoyed having Casey and Michelle on the podcast, please comment. Uh, give them a shout out. Uh, let me know that, yes, more Casey, more Michelle, and uh, <laughs> we'll definitely have them back soon. Uh, also, if there's anything that they, they said or uh, if you have questions, you can always either leave a comment, but I also encourage you, you can email me uh, at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, love to get those emails, those questions, and try to get those answers back to you in a timely manner. There are a few of you that emailed me like a while ago and you're wondering... Is he ever going to? Yes, I will get to all the emails. I promise. Uh, and also, thank you so much for tuning in. If you, yeah, if you find this valuable, please share it, like it, subscribe to it. Uh, even if you don't have a comment uh, to share, an emoji, uh, thumbs up, something like that, uh, just helps the algorithm of YouTube and to, yeah, make it available and known by more people. So, love to get the word out. I want more and more people taking and reading the Word of God. And so thank you for joining me, ladies. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Go now and take and read the Word.